Hi, I'm Joe Wanderko, the commissioner of the President's Athletic Conference, and you're watching Dingo Talk. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. My guest, Joe Wanderko, uh, president and commissioner of the President's Athletic Conference, Division Three. Joe, thank you for taking time out of this busy day. I know you're up there in Grove City for the uh, men's swimming and diving. Yeah, thanks, Carlo. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're rolling with day two of men's swimming and diving, but uh, great to take some time and talk with you today. Well, I appreciate it. The last time I saw you, you were, you were uh, on the sideline and I was calling a game and you and President Miller gave me a birthday cake. So I'm glad that <laughs> I'm not getting right. surprised this time. Right. That's going back a few years. Absolutely. A couple. We, we don't need yeah. to say how many. It was just, it's back there. Um, so 1988, you decide to go to Robert Morris. What made, what made that decision? <laughs> I, you know, I grew up, Carlo, if you've been up to Teal, I grew up in a little town about seven miles north of Teal. It's called Jamestown. And it's right on the kind of the Pima Tuning Lake area. A lot of people have gone fishing and camping up there. And when I was looking at colleges, I, I knew I wanted something in communications and maybe something in sports, but I wasn't sure. I'll never forget. They had a high school, uh, you know, one of those college fairs at my high school. You know, everybody else is all these, you know, young people are with their suits and they're standing around looking attentive and they're very serious. And then the last one was this Robert Morris table. And there's this older guy sitting there with like a leather coat just kind of hanging out. So I, thought, <laughs> I want to talk to you right here. And uh, he got talking to me about, you know, their communications and their sport management. And I really didn't look at any place else, to be honest with you. I was just like, yeah, this, this is a fit for what I wanted. And uh, so I uh, ended up going down to Moon Township, had a great four years down there and, uh, you know, it's funny, you, you never, and you know this as well as anybody, you never kind of, you have a general idea of the path you're on, but then you, there's, there's some whys and some, uh, you know, so, some uh, detours along the way, I guess we would say. So uh, did, did I expect to end up where I'm at? No, not at all. But, uh, but, it, but it's been an interesting journey, that's for sure. Well, so then you went to school for communications. Was that always the goal? Well, you know, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing, when, when people hear I went to Robert Morris, they just assume, oh, you're a sport management major. Actually, I wasn't. Uh, now, I took sport management classes, but I was a communications management major. So it's kind of like business PR and stuff like that. But, you know, I was a th I, I did three sports in high school. I never really got it out of my blood. Um, I thought about playing baseball at Robert Morris, but then they dropped the team the year before I came. So that wrecked that. Um, and, I, and I basically, you know, was looking at more like a kind of a corporate PR type of, of thing. And it really, it was just taking an elective there. It was, it was my junior or senior year. I took an elective and it's called sports info information systems, which I didn't even know what that meant at the time, mm -hmm. but it seemed really cool. You know? So it's like all the PR stuff, but in, in sports. Yeah. And like, I, I took that class and it's like, this is it. I mean, this is, this is what I, I should be doing period. And I was so, Carlo, I was so lucky. I was so fortunate and blessed. You know, a guy who the guy who taught that was an adjunct a guy named Jim O'Brien. I don't know if you know him. He's the guy that he, he used to be SID at Pitt. He used to write for the Post Gazette. Uh, he's written a bunch of books about Pittsburgh pro sports teams. I know the name. Yeah, yeah. He took the lightning to me and he helped me out immeasurably. I mean, he helped me in ways that I can never, ever say thank you enough for. And so all I've tried in my career is to kind of pay forward, if you understand what I mean, because I can never pay back for what he did for me. So. At what point, as I'm looking down at your resume here, I see there was a public relations intern with the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
And there was also in that same year, you kind of go, you do your public relations internship with the Cleveland Cavaliers, which has to be a really cool experience. Yeah. So how did that develop? Well, and here's the Jim O'Brien connection. So th this is such a cool story because I'm sitting in class one day and his assignment was, we had to write a press release, Carlo, on us being hired for our dream job in sports. I, I never even thought of that. What, what would my dream job, what would your dream job in sports be? What would anybody's be? You know, of course you got the normal ones. I want to be the GM for the Steelers and I want to be, you know, all the, but I really had to think about it. And finally, when he, he asked me, I said, you know, you know, I have a kind of a PR background. I'm kind of a basketball guy. I'd love to work in PR for the, you know, like be the PR director for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he doesn't say anything. He just kind of nods and he just kind of, you know, and then the next day we're, or the next class, we come back in, we've got our papers we're ready to go. And he, he goes to, he says to the class, does anybody remember what Joe's dream job was? You know, one of the kids says that he's like, well, I called the PR director for the Cleveland Cavaliers and he's got an interview for an internship next week. That's how it happened. I mean, just like that. Now, here, here's what I didn't know about Jim O'Brien. On top of everything else, he was the editor back in the day of what was called Street and Smith's Pro Basketball Annual. It's that big yearbook. It was like the NBA preview yearbook. Yep. He edited that whole thing. I had no idea. He knew every PR director in the NBA. And because he took a liking and he opened that door, I interviewed for it. I got it. And then, you know, I'm going up in April, right about the time I'm graduating, I'm escorting Michael Jordan to a post-game press conference. I mean, it, it, it happened that fast, Carlo. I mean, it was just, I mean, beyond blessed. I can't, I can't even ex express what an opportunity that was that, that he made possible for me. So in getting to, obviously, you got to meet, you got to escort Michael Jordan to a press conference and whatnot. What were some of the other things that went into your day? Like, what is a day to life in the, or a day in the life of a public relations guy in the NBA? Yeah, yeah. It was really, I worked with a couple of guys named Bob Price and Bob Zank, who were there for a lot of years. And really just, just got a feel for how they, it's almost exclusively media relations. They're not dealing with marketing. They're not dealing with all these community relations, all these ancillary things. It's just media relations and, you know, building relationships with the players. And, uh, you know, I came in in April, right at the end of the season, they're starting the playoff run. And that year they had a great playoff run. They beat the Nets in the first round. They beat the Celtics in seven and seventh round. That was actually Larry Bird's final NBA game was in Cleveland when they got knocked out. And then they lost to the Bulls in six in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I was there through the whole thing. And, and I mean, that I just, wasn't an easy series. That last, that, that no, one that no, they get bumped right. out. That's a, that. Yeah, no, it was 2-2 and they were, Cavs were right with them. And uh, I mean, just the experience was so incredible being there. And the players were fantastic. These are like the Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance years. And I always tell the story. It's funny. You talk about treating everybody well, whether it's the CEO or the janitor. I'm sure you've had other people say that. You know, I, the only, I, I got along with all the players, but the only one who really knew me by name was the guy who was at the end of the bench, the guy who never played. You understand what I mean? He's mm -hmm. the 12th man. He only got in when it was a blowout or whatever. He knew me by name because I was the intern and he was low man. We commiserated. You know who the 12th man on that team was? It was Steve Kerr. That's a pretty good guy to know. <laughs> how, I mean, seriously, how about that? And here he was, he's on NBA minimum. You know, he's just trying to stay in the league. Yep. And, that, and 30 years later, look where he's at now. I mean, it's just you never know when you're dealing with people where they're going to go or, or what, what's going to happen. Now, that hasn't turned into anything. I mean, we haven't kept in touch through the years, but I've never forgotten that. Yeah, you know, this is a guy that was on the bottom of the totem pole. 
And not only did he become a multi-time NBA champion with the Bulls, he's now considered one of the greatest coaches of all time. So um, it, it was a really, really good life lesson for me being there. Well, and from that, so August of 92, the internship ends. Yeah. And you pick right up heading down to VCU to be the assistant sports information director. How do yep. you get into that? And is that more because you really enjoyed the sports information side, the PR side, and that's why that was where you went next? Right. Well, I had a couple options coming out of Cleveland. I couldn't stay in PR. If I had, I could have, I would have. I could have stayed in, uh, in sales, like in ticket sales, but I really didn't have much of an interest. I did have one PR, like basketball PR opportunity. I always wonder what would happen if I would have taken this. I got offered to be the PR director for the Rapid City Thrillers of the old CBA, the old minor league. And ironically, the head coach and GM was Eric Musselman, who's now down at Arkansas. He was like 26 years old at the time. He's like, because of my, because his dad had been the Cavs head coach, he was ready to hire me to come do that. But I mean, I, you know, you're talking about moving off to South Dakota. I didn't know anybody. And then again, it was Jim O'Brien who called me. He had taken an associate AD position at VCU. Would you come down and be my intern, a paid intern? Sure. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd never been to Richmond. I didn't know anybody there. I knew VCU was pretty good mid-major at the time. This is before they had their final four run and everybody knew who they were. But I moved to Richmond. I got a year's lease. And the best, the best part of the story is I go in the first day, Carlo, and I got my new suit and I'm ready to work. And Jim O'Brien, he comes in and he pulls me in his back office, close the door, close the door. I just resigned <laughs> my first day there. I don't know anybody. I just signed a year's lease on an apartment and my boss who hired me just quit. He was homesick over Pittsburgh and went back to Pittsburgh. What, what's going what's to happen to me? I have no idea. Well, I mean, fortunately, the people there were great. I mean, they took me in and, and, and part of, maybe it was partly just because they had no choice. They needed people at that point. Mm -hmm. So basically the assistant SID was promoted to interim director and I was promoted to interim assistant. Uh, everybody at VCU still calls me OJ. And it had nothing to do with OJ Simpson. It meant Orphan Joe. That's what they <laughs> called me the entire time I was there. I was Orphan Joe. And uh, yeah, so again, the timing of it though, I, I got this great full-time opportunity at 22 that I wouldn't have got if he hadn't left. And then two years later, we're hosting the D1 Women's Final Four in Richmond. And, you know, here I am, 24 years old, running a, a D1 Final Four. I mean, who else gets an opportunity like that? I mean, there, there's nothing but Providence involved in that. It was, it was incredible. Well, and so let's let's dive into that a little bit. What is it like? Because, I mean, you obviously you deal on a day-to-day -day with the Division Three level. What was it like as a 22-year-old, as a or I guess two years later, so you're 24 now, what yeah. was it like dealing with the Division One, the, the tournament and all the moving parts that go in? Because that can't be an easy oh, no. thing. Yeah. It, I mean, it, was, I mean, it was really humbling, honestly, because, you know, whatever you think you know, you don't know enough. Let's put it that way. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I just resolved myself, look, I know I'm not as experienced as a lot of these people. I'm just going to go in and grind. I'm going to work hard every day and do the best that I can. If it's not good enough, it's not good enough, but I'm not going to, it's not going to be for lack of effort or lack of will or lack of drive. If you understand yeah. what I mean. And what I don't know, I'll just pick up as I go. And, you know, I tried to treat people well, treat people the way I'd want to be treated. And, you know, we got through it. I mean, it turned out to be, it was the one, I don't know if you remember, Carla, it was the one where the girl from North Carolina hit a three-pointer at the buzzer and beat Louisiana Tech. Charlotte Smith was her name. I've seen the replays so, of it, yes. Yeah, say, so it was one of the more famous ones just because of how the championship ended. And here, you know, it, it turned out to really just, just be fantastic. 
the, the one thing I would say, though, you know, you go into D1, you kind of got stars in your eyes. And it was really cool. I mean, we were in a league where we flew everywhere in the old Metro Conference. But the downside of it was, I, I got to tell you, I saw a lot of really good people treated really badly and through no fault of their own. Just it was and it just kind of led me to believe, is this really I, where I want to spend my whole career? And once I reached the point that, you know what, I don't know that I want to stay in D1. That's when, you know, the Westminster opening happened, the chance to come back to PA and set me on the path that I'm on. Well, so let's let's go into that. So you you're you're starting to it's time to maybe move on. You're the D1, maybe not where I, you want to be. Yeah. Westminster, the Westminster job opens. Clearly, you're yeah. going to be a little closer to home. Right. I mean, that's oh, yeah, about about 35 minutes from where I grew up. Right. Yeah, um, does that factor in as well? Was it the come home? I want to do this and it's a good job. It, give, it keeps me in sports, but it also gets me into a different level of. All of the above, Carlo. Yes. I mean, I, I felt tremendous pressure, put tremendous pressure on myself to get that job because for all the reasons you just said, I wanted to stay in sports. I wanted to be a director. I knew Westminster had a great athletic. They were still NAI at the time. This was before mm -hmm. they went to division three, but they had just, you know, that I interviewed two days after they won the 1994 NAI football national championship. So I knew I was coming into a program that had a real history of success. And by the way, it's a half hour from my home and my family and, uh, you know, my girlfriend who would become my fiance and become my wife, you know, who grew up right by there. So, I mean, it was just, it was huge pressure. And the irony was, you know, I know who, who the other finalist was. And it was a guy who's also gone on to, you know, really fantastic success. And I always think, what if it had reversed? What if he had got it and I didn't? And where would I have ended up? Where would he have ended up? Um, but, you know, it was one of those things that just, it worked out best for everybody involved and got me back to Western PA and, and really got me in the small college, uh, you know, culture, which I have just totally embraced since I've got been a part of it. And what were some of those first years like? So you're saying that they're, they're still NAIA. So can you explain... Yeah. Before we go into what Westminster was like, what is the, the clear difference between the NAIA and then the NCAA with Division One, Two, II, and Three? Yeah, if I, if I had to put it on a, on a chart for you, NAIA is probably NCAA Division Two and a half, I would say. Um, in other words, they allowed athletic scholarships, but not, not near the level of what Division Two does, but certainly more than what Division Three does. So they would get those kids that would kind of fall through the cracks on D2, mm -hmm. you know, especially ones that are pretty good academically. And the other thing was the NAI really doesn't have anywhere near the rule book that the NCAA does. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the wild West. You could pretty much do what you want to do. And, uh, you know, Westminster just kind of found a niche back in those days, you know, J you know, Joe Fusco and Harold Burry before him, Gene Nicholson was the head coach. When I came in, I was really fortunate to be around some great leaders of men and some great football people. And, you know, just I just really was a sponge and learned as much as I could in those first few years at Westminster. Well, I think that's a I think it's a good place. We'll pause right there. We're going to send it to Chambers General Store here in Bethany, West Virginia. Chambers, if they don't West have Chambers. it, you don't need it. I love it. I, I'm going to get a sub next time I'm there. Absolutely. Well, you should also get a T-shirt. They got the T-shirts now. It's a red T-shirt. It says Chambers on the front and on the back. It says if they don't have it, you don't need it. You've been in the store. You know that to be factual. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, PAC Commissioner Joe Anderko. I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk, and we will be right back, Chuckleheads. You're watching another exciting episode of Dingo Talk. 
recorded deep in the hidden lair in Bethany, West Virginia. Or when you visit, make sure you stop by Chambers General Store. Grab one of our hot breakfast sandwiches made fresh all day. Don't forget the biscuits and gravy or one of the daily lunch specials. And if none of that trips your trigger, cold cut sub sandwiches and wraps made fresh all day to your order. Hey, and don't be the only alumni on the block that doesn't have the Chambers. If you, we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirt or the latest edition of the Bethany, West Virginia shroom capital of the world in the psychedelic green. Hey, now back to you, Carlo. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk, my guest, PAC Commissioner Joe Anderko. We left off. Joe was telling us about his return to Western Pennsylvania. Uh, he's at Westminster. We'll, we'll go 1997. Uh, you're the sports information director, and now you decide to go and pursue further education with a master's degree. Why did you feel the need, or why did you feel the want? Maybe it wasn't a need. What made you go towards furthering the education? Um, probably more just opportunity than anything. You know, after, after I got back to Westminster, I actually started in 95, and uh, my wife and I got married in 96. So she had settled into a full-time job there in Hermitage, close, close to, to there. And uh, Westminster, was, you know, one of the things of being an employee there is that you got tuition uh, break, including graduate school. And so I thought, well, you know what, I don't know where I'm going to go with my career, but I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to need a master's degree at some point. Uh, so I worked on a math for about four years on a master's degree in counselor education. At the time, it was their only master's degree. I think they've, they've added some more since then. You know, you had to pay like taxes on it and things like that. But I mean, it was just it was just a great opportunity. My wife, after I was done, I ended up going through the same program for the same reason, you know, while we were there. So, you know, Westminster was, is very, was very, very good to their employees that way, making those opportunities available. And, uh, and like I said, I, I do think that, you know, getting that master's degree probably opened up some things for me, you know, from a, from a professional standpoint that might not have been there if I hadn't done it. Um, so what, while you're in the process of getting your master's and whatnot, and then after you have it, what is the developments to Westminster? So they're, they're moving out of NAIA at that point, right. correct? Yeah, how does yeah, that process go? Like for a college that's in that situation, how do they make the decision that they're going to leave one whole league to go to another league? And then it was, it was a really interesting time, Carlo, and, and especially how do you make that decision when you've had so much success at the level you're at? I mean, they were the most, you know, six-time NAIA national champions in football. And now you're saying we're going to leave that and go to the NCAA to a division that we haven't been in before. Mm -hmm. And it was really contentious. I'll be honest with you. I still remember the meetings when they talked about, do we go to division two? Do we go to division three? Well, you know, you ask coaches generally, do you want to recruit with athletic scholarships or without athletic scholarships? What do you think they're going to say? I would say the first one. Yeah. Now, there are a couple that said, and I distinctly remember this in the meetings, look, I, I love my athletic scholarships, but look at us. We're a Division three institution. I mean, how we were said, you know, the number of students we have, what our budgets are like, things like that. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, there was a feeling that, you know, we have these scholarships, we don't want to lose them. And so they ended up going Division two right off the bat. And, and here's the thing that I think was missed with that, Carlo, and a lot of people don't know this. Um, Joe Fusco, who was the AD at the time, was trying to get all the NEIA private schools in Pennsylvania and Ohio to jump at the same time. The idea was to set up a private school D2 conference. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about Geneva. I'm talking about St. Vincent. I'm talking about 
Um, you know, all, you already had Gannon and Mercyhurst and Erie. You had over in Ohio, you had uh, Ashland was already there. You had Malone and Walsh. Mm-hmm. All these schools we had played in NAIA, let's keep everybody together. And without getting into the details of it, it fell apart at the last minute. We, we had one, you know, one school pulled out and another one did. And so now Westminster's already committed. They're out there. So they end up joining the GLIAC, which Gannon and Mercyhurst were in, which was primarily a public school D2 league based in Michigan. So they're going up to play Grand Valley State. They're going up to play Ferris State, Saginaw Valley. And it didn't take long to see that from a resource standpoint, from a culture standpoint, it just wasn't a fit. Mm-hmm. So after one year of it, the new president came in, Tom Williamson, said, we're, we're just not staying here. And that's when the decision was made to move to Division Three and, and join the PAC in 2000. Well, and it, interesting enough, I'm going to fast forward six years uh, <laughs> since we brought up the PAC. Right. Um, my first question is, you're the in the history of the PAC, which was founded in 1955, you're the first full-time executive. That's correct. How does that position, I guess maybe why was that position created at that point? Yeah, it's it's an interesting story because I actually started working for the PAC part-time for those last five years I was at Westminster from about 01 to 06. Uh, just doing like sports information and, you know, weekly releases, players of the week, website management. And what happened over those five years is, you know, I was getting pulled more and more of the conference direction. A lot of that was because the NCAA, which used to do a lot of things at the national level, was dumping more and more down to the conference level. And there was nobody else to do it. Yeah. You know, people say, how did, how did the PAC operate before a commissioner? I said, about as well as you would think. I mean, you know, the, the president's chair was the de facto commissioner if something came up, but there was nobody kind of overseeing things and making sure, you know, <laughs> things are being handled the way they're supposed to be handled. It was just, it was very laissez-faire. It didn't work well. So, so part of it was just, you had to, have, there was somebody who had to do this stuff. And I, so I just did it because there was nobody else. The second thing was, you know, around that time, you know, around 03, 04, our presidents really decided, look, if we're, they had six members at the time, we, we're not going to survive unless we grow. And so they start, became, put a strategic plan in place. Let's go out and let's go after the schools we feel are a fit for us. And so, you know, first, the first one, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, was a little school down across the river in, from Cincinnati in Kentucky named Thomas Moore. They came in in 05. But then after that, St. Vincent came in 06. Geneva came in 07. Chatham came in 07. So all of a sudden, you've gone from six schools to 10 schools in a very short period of time. And it, it just all lined up. As this process was going, they said, look, we just need a full-time executive to kind of handle all this. And I'll never forget the president's meeting where, where a dear colleague of mine said, you know, I don't know why you would search for somebody when you've got someone in the room doing all these things already. And so they asked me to leave the room and 15 minutes later, they brought me in and I was, I was the first commissioner of the PAC at that point. And now going into your 16th year. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's been an incredible, incredible run. I'm so blessed with, you know, there's so, you know, Carla, there's so many good people at all these schools and, you know, I mean, you have your headaches and your potholes like anybody else, but you know, I, I wouldn't trade this for, for, for anything. It's, 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 it's a fantastic league. So let's, let's dive into some of those schools that, so there, there's originally when you, when they make this decision that they're going to go out and recruit, there's six schools left in the PAC. Right. That's correct. Which, which I'm guessing, and if I'm wrong, correct me, but it would be Bethany, Teal, Waynesburg, 
W and J and Grove City. And Grove City. Yeah. Yep. Those so, so then Geneva, when they come in, aren't are they also leaving Division Two? No, they they came they and St. Vincent came straight from the NAI. Okay. Um, and, and that's a, and that's important to understand because it leads to the question I get probably more than anything else, which is how on earth did this school down in Kentucky end up in the PAC and why? That was my next and one. I, I was going to say, and it all ties together. So we knew we had this group of schools coming, but with St. Vincent and Geneva coming from the NAIA, they have to go through a four-year uh, new membership program. They don't count towards our core membership until that's done. Okay. So even though St. Vincent comes in 06, they're not going to count our core membership till 2010. Mm -hmm. Now, why does that matter? Because remember, how many did we say we have? Six? Six. The key number in Division Three up until this year is you had to have seven core members to get an automatic bid to any NCAA championship. You had to, have, if you have six, you don't get it. If you have seven, you do. We had to get to seven. Yeah. Okay. There was just no getting around it. And it had to be somebody that was an existing Division Three member so that it would count towards that because those NEI schools, they were going to count eventually, but they weren't going to count right away. And that's how Thomas Moore came in. We found each other. They had played non-conference against like Teal and Westminster. They were not at the beginning the dominant athletic program they ended up turning into later yeah. on. Um, they needed a home and we needed a seventh member. Honestly, Carlo, it was as simple as that. And so we, we, it was kind of an arranged marriage, if you want to call it that. You know, it wasn't ideal, but we knew that if we didn't get that, we weren't looking at automatic bids for another five, six years. Whereas they come in in 05, and now all of a sudden, 06, we've got automatic bids in just about everything. And that was so instrumental and so important to our growth and development as a conference. You know, obviously, it, it, they developed into something else, and we ended up having our separation a few years ago. But at that time, there just wasn't another answer to get there. And, yeah. and quite frankly, I think it was beneficial to, it was beneficial to them because it gave them credibility, let them build their program. And it helped us because by getting the, knowing we had the automatic bids, now Geneva, St. Vincent, all these schools coming in are like, yeah, we're, we're all in now because we know if we win a championship, once we're in, we're going to the NCAA tournament. So that, that's the story. That, that's how it happened and why it happened. Well, and that's crazy to think that from 1955 to 2006, mm -hmm. the PAC, which had had different members come and go through its time. And, you know, as a Bethany guy, the soccer program won a oh, lot sure. of conference titles and didn't have a guaranteed spot in the tournament. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. Bethany was the example. I think it was 2002 or three. Bethany men's basketball was like 24 and three. Mm -hmm. or something like that after the tournament and they had to wait they were on the bubble of whether they were going to get into the ncaa tournament or not which was just crazy to me you know this this is obviously one of the best you know they were they were a top 20 caliber team yeah but because we didn't have that bid they had to sweat even though they were 24 and 3 whether they were going to get in and that's why that that had to be move number one we've got to solidify that because otherwise, you know, we were getting killed in recruiting. You know, a, a school from the OSA or someplace else might say, well, why would you go to a PAC school? Even if you win the championship, you're not going to the NCAAs. And how many kids did we lose because of that? So, I mean, that was so instrumental for us getting to where we are now. That was really the crucial first step. Well, and then, so, you know, Thomas Moore makes their, makes their exit. Yep. You get, you replace them. And this is another question that kind of, I'm sure you get a lot. Carnegie Mellon and Case. Yeah. Only for one sport. 
Right. How does that work? That actually happened before Thomas Moore's departure because, you know, they, they came in, their first season in the PAC was 2014. Okay. I don't think Thomas Moore departed until 18. But so let's talk just case of CMU. This was just a case of opportunity being there and, and, and affiliating with schools we wanted to affiliate with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they're obviously members of the UAA, which is just a fantastic league. I mean, it's got eight of the best national research institutions in the world, let alone the country. Um, and it's a really unique and special fit because those schools are so unique and have such similarities. But it's not real conducive to football. Um, you know, of the eight schools, only five of them had football. And one of those five was affiliated with another league already. Uh, Rochester was up in the Liberty League. So now you got Case and Carnegie, and then you've got Wash U and St. Louis and the University of Chicago trying to play each other, but trying to fill a 10-game schedule. Well, how do you know, there, there just aren't enough games out there, or you're flying all over the country. And so they, they finally reached a point where it's like, you know, this is just untenable. We just need to find a permanent solution. And so the ADs at the time at Carnegie and Case reached out to me and said, you know, would the PAC be willing to consider us as affiliate members? And so it was probably about a year's process, you know, from the time you have that initial contact through all the negotiating that has to happen. You have presidents involved. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's turned out to be a great fit, I think, Carlo. I mean, they have um, raised the level of PAC football. I don't think there's any question about it. But I wouldn't say they've dominated it either. I mean, no. they've been, you know, they've made it. They, we've got like this past year, we had five really good programs. And so I think what it's made us is one of the deeper D3 conferences in football as far as strength. But, but ultimately, people say, well, why did you do it? Well, because what I said before, these are two of the most incredibly well-respected and renowned research institutions in the world. Why would we not want to be affiliated with them? Absolutely. And especially if we're going to strengthen our football on top of it. So, um, you know, so, so it's, from that standpoint, you know, they've been in what now, eight years. And I, I, think it's, I think it's been a fantastic fit for both sides. And then now we have a new, new team coming in, yeah. I believe, starting next year, correct? Yeah, well, we will. After Thomas Moore left, we brought in a new team with Franciscan. That's right. You guys. Um, And we could do that because when you have the two football affiliates, now you could probably, from a scheduling standpoint, you could take up to two non-football schools to kind of mesh everything out. We already had Chatham, but so Franciscan came in and and it just kind of balanced everything out. And then that led, of course, to what you're going to talk about, which is Allegheny coming in next year. And why Allegheny? Because they are—they're an original member of the PAC back back in the day, correct? They, they were a member of the PAC from I want to say '58 to '84, something like that. So they—they they weren't an original original, but they kind of came in with that first core group that kind of comprised the modern PAC in 1958 with Teal and with Bethany and with W and J. Um, and then they left when the North Coast Athletic Conference formed in 1984. Again, like the UAA, the North Coast is an incredible league with just fantastic schools. Um, but I think in the, in the case of Allegheny, I mean, they're, they were very ge- – they were the geographic outlier, kind of like Thomas Moore was for us, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's a conference that's been kind of shifting west over the last few years, adding schools in Indiana. So, you know, Allegheny found themselves going, you know, eight hours for, for conference games. I mean, I remember how much coaches up here used to – throw a fit over going four to five hours to Thomas Moore. Imagine going eight. I mean, you know, it's, it's a grind after a while. And so while it's a fantastic league and they've got a great commissioner and they do things really, really well, I think it just, over time, it just became harder and harder for Allegheny to, 
to, to justify that when you feel like, hey, we could go right up and down I-79. Everybody's within two hours of each other. So you save money. You, you certainly uh, reduce the amount of missed class time. So it's a better academic fit from that standpoint. And so again, it, it was probably a year, year and a half from start to finish when we first, when they first contacted us. But uh, you know, we're excited to have them. I mean, you're right. They got they're a big part of our history. They're going to reestablish rivalries with local schools, and and I think in a number of sports and just in general, they just make us a much, much stronger conference. Now, leadership wise in the conference, with you as the commissioner, there's there's the board of it's the board of presidents, correct? So each That's president correct. sits on the board and they they have discussions so let's talk about obviously kind of the curveball that everybody in the country dealt with starting about two years ago how do you guys and what you said about before we came on on, on the air about the the swim the, the swim championships right now is yeah. right now they're separate it's not men and women the women had theirs now it's the men's turn and there's just not that same feel what was the initial reaction from every from all the presidents how did we come to where we are today and what was that first hurdle to get to where we are today wow i mean, I mean the last two years are just like a blur i mean it's, <laughs> it's 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 been without a doubt the toughest challenge of my professional career and probably everybody else that's been in this and again i've been in athletics 30 years now i mean but there's nothing even close to, to what the pandemic and how we dealt with it um, I'll never forget, Carlo, that first week. Uh, it was the second week in March in, two, in two, 2020. And we had a call on Monday of the Division Three commissioners. I was the chair of the D3 commissioners at the time with the head medical guy at the NCAA, Brian Hainline. And I'll never forget him saying, it was Monday, March 9th. He said, no, you don't have to, we're going to be fine. You know, this thing passes like the flu. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. You'll be fine. And then on Wednesday, the NBA shut down. And then on Thursday, they canceled March Madness. That happened within a 72-hour period. And I, I mean, I felt like I'd just been kicked in the teeth. I mean, I, I just, I can't even describe how I, the unsettled feeling of that it's like, you know, what's going to happen? You know, yeah. are we, we going to, when are we going to play again? Are we going to play again? You know, are, are we all going to be fired because we don't have athletics? I mean, you had no idea at that point where it was going. Our presidents have just been fantastic through this whole thing. I, I mean, I think their their wisdom and how they've, especially the leadership that we've had with the presidents the last couple of years, really has kind of shepherded us through a difficult, difficult time. Um, there are frustrations. We wanted to do some limited sports in the fall of 2020, like just low density, non-contact sports. And then some things the NCAA did kind of wrecked that plan, um, which we weren't real happy about. But every step of the way, they were they were so supportive. And they said, look, athletics is such a huge part of our culture at our schools. If there's a way for us to compete, we've got to find a way to do it. And that's what led to the plan last spring, where we, we basically held 20 championships in the PAC in 11 weeks. And I don't ever want to do it again, um, but I'm glad we did it. Because I, it just sent a message to our athletes that, it wasn't just lip service. We we're going to, if there's a way for us to get you a, an experience, a championship experience, we're going to do it. And ultimately the only three we didn't do were indoor track and field because we don't have a facility that we controlled and wrestling for obvious reasons. Um, but everything else, all 20 sports, we were able to compete for championships that spring. And that's probably my proudest moment, but it's not me. It, that doesn't happen unless the ATs or the athletic trainers are working double time. The SIDs mm -hmm. are working double time. 
the coaches are adjusting on the fly, sometimes by the hour, on what we can and can't do. Everybody pitched in and made that possible. And it's just, I, I really thought it was a shining moment for our conference, just showing the level of dedication and will that our people had, that as difficult as this is, we're going to find a way through it. When recently, uh, at the end of January, you were at the the NCAA, the big, the big, the big meeting for everybody. Yeah, the convention. Right. Anything that we should know that came up during that, that's new that's going to be going into play or, or what was talked about? Well, the big thing, I'm sure it's in the news reports, was the new NCAA constitution. And that's all been driven by Division One, but it impacts us too. You know, mm -hmm. all the NIL stuff, name, image, likeness, all the, you know, the Supreme Court case that they got buried in, you know, that basically said you can't run your business the way you are. I mean, the NCAA is going through just a, a sea change right now in a lot of different ways. Um, I'll be honest with you. You know, we had the vote new constitution. I voted against it. And I wrote an op-ed encouraging people to vote against it because I thought Division Three got a raw deal out of it, quite frankly. Um, it ended up passing. I wasn't surprised. I mean, they were going to find the votes to pass this if they had to. They're trying to keep the Power Five from breaking away and forming their own association. So I get it. Um, but I think what is going to result is over the next probably eight months or so, there's going to be a real debate in Division Three over how we do our business. And I know I'm part of a group that's really advocating to make it more democratic, to involve conferences to a much better degree, to make sure all conferences are involved at the highest levels, like at the President's Council and Management Council level. Um, and to make sure that our and the big thing is making sure our championships are fully funded. They're not right now, Carlo. I mean, we've got areas where, that we don't fund and I'm embarrassed about, quite frankly, at the national level. So I, I think we're, we're going to make some good progress. But I think between now and like August, September, uh, it's going to be a real we're, we're going to have some real challenges to get there. Now, how does the NIL, how does that affect a Division three athlete? Um, it, it does. I mean, we have students with NIL deals within the PAC, some really, really cool stories, actually, I think. And it has not been the, uh, you know, the seismic, you know, cataclysmic event that everybody that the NCAA said it was going to be. I think everybody's adjusted to it. Um, we've got, we had a, we've got a swimmer here at Grove City that's, uh, uh, was on the U.S. Paralympic team and has an NIL deal through that. I think it, which is a fantastic story. There's a, there's a girl at Geneva that works with, uh, with a national like disease association that does some great work. So I think what we are seeing is while it's certainly not as lucrative and certainly not as common as what you see in division one, um, our, our, our student athletes are finding some niches there and, mm -hmm. and they're, they're doing what they've always done. They're making a positive difference. And you know what, if they can be compensated a little bit, uh, you know, for, for doing those things, all the better. I, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's not, we, we obviously, honestly haven't talked about it as much as you might think we've talked about it, but it's there. We're aware of it. All our schools are following their state laws. We, we don't have a conference policy because the state laws in Pennsylvania and Ohio and West Virginia are different. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody's just following their state laws. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue to adjust and evolve it. But, I, but all in all, I think it's been a pretty good thing. Now, would you do you ever foresee Division three moving to athletic scholarships or is that what separates Division three from the other conference or the other divisions? No, I, I don't see them moving to athletic scholarships. I do see depending on what happens in Division one over the next few years, especially you know there what's going to happen, Carlo is there's, there's, there's getting to just be a chasm 
between the upper levels of D1 and the lower levels of D1, between the Penn States and the Robert Morrises of the world, okay? And that chasm just grows financially and everything else every year because of TV contracts, because of a number of things. Yeah. The downward pressure on that lower level of D1, you're going to see, and we already saw it this year, University of Hartford was in March Madness. They just announced they're moving their entire athletic department to D3. You're going to see more of that. You're going to see more downward pressure. I know the Robert Morris president said to me, it's not a question of if we're going to lose money in athletics. It's how much money are we willing to lose to be at this level, to get the benefits of being in D1. Some schools are going to decide financially it's just not worth it. And they're yeah. going to push down to D2. And then D2 is going to have to react to that. And you may have some folks there is like, well, we can't do this. And they're going to want to push down to D3. So I think we're going to have to put some constraints on membership, on, on controlling that process. We've already got 450 members in Division Three. Mm -hmm. At what point does it get so large we have to consider a fourth division? And what does that split look like? I think that's the larger question of where this division is going over the next five to ten years. So and the pressure from the top could inevitably cause us maybe five years down the road to be seeing a division four or a division yeah. three, almost like one A yeah, or one... three, yeah, or three one double A or whatever. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't know the exact form it'll take, Carlo, but that's where the pressure is. And that's where I see movement coming because you know, I look at us membership-wise at 450 schools, we're maxed out in a lot of our championships. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's 28 automatic bids for the 32 team football championship. You know, you get 64 in basketball. Well, we got 45 automatic bids. How many, you know, so where how, does how much larger can you get? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it's but well staying within those constraints. I don't see us moving to say a 48 team football bracket because that's you know, I, I just I can't see it. But if we're going to, now that's going to require some major changes in how we do our business. So, I mean, those are the questions I think, at least in the short to medium term, we're going to have, we're going to be forced to address. And that's why I think kind of reworking how we do our business and governance over the next year is so important because we got to be ready to answer those questions when those things happen. So collecting all of that together for, for, from division three and from what you've told us about the PAC, what is the state of the PAC today? Oh, I think the conference is in fantastic shape. I mean, it's, um, I think it's as strong as it's ever been in its 65-plus year history. And I think I can say that unequivocally. I mean, with 11 full members, the two affiliates, 23 sport championships, you know, we're considering some other options there. That could grow at some point in the near future. Um, the, the, the irony of it, though, Carlo, is I think we've never been in a stronger position, but I think as institutions, some of our schools are being challenged, especially financially, in ways they've never been before. And so, you know, we want to support them with that. And I think we do because, I mean, if you look at our schools, we look at Bethany, I mean, just the how high a percentage of the student body is athletes. I think that's the same at a lot of PAC schools. I think we are really the value added for our, for our schools in our league. We're the reason, yes, kids are going to come to Bethany just to get a great education. But if I can come to Bethany and get a great education and play the sport I love for four years, now I'm definitely coming. You see what I mean? I mean, Absolutely. You know, I, I think that's that we're, we're really the that value added difference maker a lot. And so that's how we're trying to support our schools, because we know they're undergoing financial challenges. So our goal is to make our conference as strong as possible, promote it as much as possible and make student athletes coming up out of high school say, I want to be a part of that, whether it's at Bethany or Grove City or Teal or wherever. And, and the other beauty of that is we have schools that are so diverse. I mean, they're so 
I mean, we're geographically tight, but I mean, you've got, you know, I said, we've got six different religious denominations represented. We've got, you know, ones with no religious denomination. Mm -hmm. We've got conservative, we've got liberal, we've got moderate. There's a place for you in the PAC, no matter who or where you're, you're from. It's just a matter of finding where that niche is for you. Well, and that's that leads me to my last question. And I think it's fitting. I've asked this, I don't know, 105 times now. Uh, but I get to ask somebody that's directly involved at the Division Three level. If you're sure. talking to a high school athlete right now, yes, why Division Three? Oh, Division, because we well, – I, I could use the boilerplate, the three Ds, the discover, develop, dedicate. I'm not going to do that. You want to come to D3 because – you can, you can have it all here. You can, we have balance. Okay. I'm not going to denigrate D1 or D2. They have their niches and that's fabulous. And I'm a D1 fan as much as anybody else is, but understand when you go there, that's your job. That's what mm -hmm. you're doing. Okay. I mean, that's, that's your focus. And you have a scholarship hanging over you that if you don't meet that is going to go away. You know, you can come and play a sport in the PAC, and if you don't like it, you can walk away tomorrow, and your financial package isn't impacted one dime, mm -hmm. okay? Or you could stay and have just a fantastic experience, but you're the one in control of it because we have the balance here. And yes, we give you a great student-athlete experience, but we also give you room to grow and develop in other areas of your life. We're not saying this has got to be a, you know, 365 commitment for you. You can be in student government. You can be in the school musical. You can be part of student government. And any of those things are possible at a Division three school. It's just a matter of finding the right niche for it. I, I, think it's, I think it's the best option out there. Unless you're, I mean, unless you're going to the NBA, I think we're, we offer the best, most balanced experience for student athletes to really excel and develop and, and you know, follow their passions then come out of it with a great degree. And, and oh, by the way, in the PAC, then you get to, you can stay here around the Pittsburgh region and the most livable city in the, in the country and start your career, start your family. I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy pitch for us to sell. And, <laughs> and it's interesting because you, like you said, you got Ohio, you have, Pen, you have Western Pennsylvania and you have this part of West Virginia. So it's an interesting where you said the diversity, it, it is all three of those areas for most of the schools that are pulling. I mean, you're, you're talking a lot of kids that I, I went to high school with, with a bunch of guys that went, ended up going to St. Vincent. I went to and high school. They with all bunch know of, each other, right? And they we all, as like, soon as you get on the field, it's, well, I don't like that, that. I don't like that Jersey you're wearing, but it's okay. I'll talk to you after the game. Let's, let's go. <laughs> like, right, right. But, but you, you already have those relationships. I mean, Western Pennsylvania has such a unique culture and I'm counting Beth, you know, the Ohio Valley is part of that. Absolutely. Because right? I consider the Ohio Valley culture very similar to, general Western PA culture. And that a couple of things. First of all, this is a rooted place. People build roots here, okay? Like you said, you have family connections here. You know families from other, you know, that you've competed against. Which leads to the second point, and that is the cultural importance of athletics in our region. From, you know, from all the way up through high school. You know, why are high school sports so big? Because there's a cultural importance to them here. That's maybe not the case everywhere else. In some places it is, but not everywhere. And I think those two things together, the family, the rootedness, and then the importance of athletic culture, all kind of leads as kind of a funnel directing people to us because we represent all those things, if that makes sense. We'll get you a great education. We'll get you a great athletic experience. And you can stay rooted here with the people you've grown up with, the people you competed against in high school. 
and you know you can you truly can't have it all uh, being an athlete in the PAC. That 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 would be my pitch. And then my last question, only because for the folks at home that are listening or watching, they have to notice that 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 radio voice that you have. So has <laughs> there been a broadcasting? Was there ever a broadcasting stints in your in your past? I started doing some broadcasting in high school. Actually, I worked for a local station doing high school games, and uh, you know, I actually even broadcast a couple state PA state title games uh, in football and basketball uh, through high school and through college. Uh, when I started at Westminster, I did it pretty regularly for the first two or three years I was there, like in the mid to late nineties. And then, honestly, uh, my daughter, my first daughter, was born in two thousand one, and the sideline at a sports announcing career kind of got put on the back burner at that point. So I have done it. I enjoy it. I, you know, I, I still dip my toe in every now and again, but uh, uh, you know, uh, other, other uh, priorities took precedent, precedent at that point. So. And for those of you that don't know, the, the dipping his toe in every once in a while is <laughs> if you've listened to any of the weekend review for football season, I believe you do a, a, a number of things for basketball and baseball as well. As a broadcaster, that was something we used to know what we were going to talk about going. <laughs> if we didn't have a filler and you did an interview with, let's say, Coach Sachs at the time, we could there throw that in there and say, well, here's John Durko. Here's the commissioner with Coach Sachs. And we would just exactly. plug the phone up and hold it over the microphone. And so I, enjoy, I, I do enjoy it. I, I do have a little bit of a background there. It's not anything I've, I've you know, I, I I've, other, other than like you said, kind of the football weekly preview, I, I don't dip my toe in a whole lot anymore. But, but yeah, every once in a while, it's nice. It's been great talking with you today. Um, I, I do enjoy this medium, and uh, you know, enjoy any chance I get to to be a part of that. Well, Joe, thank you very much for for taking the time. I know it's a busy day. Um, folks, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. Just type in Dingo Talk. You can find us on Twitter. It's at Dingo Talk, Instagram, Dingo underscore talk, and on TikTok, which I'm not really sure how to use yet, but I keep putting things up there and people keep watching them. So keep doing that. That's also Dingo Talk. This is President's Athletic Conference Commissioner Joe Anderko. Uh, I am Carlo Guadagnino. This has been Dingo Talk, and we'll catch you next week, Chuckleheads.